0: Visit roberthalf.com today. That's right. With the first pick, the CBS Sports Podcast, we are here live in Phoenix, Arizona. That's Old Town Scottsdale you're looking at there. There's the State Farm Stadium where they'll be playing five days from now. The Chiefs and the Eagles and CBS Sports HQ is here in Phoenix, Arizona at Hance Park, the home of the NFL experience this week. Very quiet right now. I'm here with my partner, Rick Spielman, but things will be hopping very soon uh, as this game gets closer and closer, Rick. So this is with the First Pick podcast, CBS Sports NFL Draft podcast. I'm Ryan Wilson. This is our general manager, Rick Spielman, more than 30 years of NFL experience, including 10 years. As the Vikings general manager, now he has the great honor of being on set with me. Rick, how excited are you, in Pete Prisco's words, to finally make it to the Super Bowl?
1: <laughs> Not in the same capacity that I thought when I first started, but uh, we had, we were in a championship game three times, but we're never able to get over the, over the hump. So I'm pretty excited to be here and be on this side of it. So I'm anxious to see this game because it's going to be one heck of a game. Great matchup. Both teams uh, are really built differently but in the same way they're both very talented on each side of the ball
0: no that's right and we're going to talk a lot over the next hour about both these teams and remember you're watching us live on HQ, which is fantastic. But You can subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast with the first pick. So please check that out. Uh, so, Rick, let's start with the Eagles team, which these are two very different organizations in terms of how they've gotten here. We're going to go through that over the course of this hour here. So let's start with Howie Roseman, the general manager, who is something of a wheeler-dealer when it comes to be a general manager and putting this team together. What are your thoughts about what Howie Roseman has done uh, in the last five, six, seven years, and even more, most more recently in terms of stockpiling the draft pick? Creating this roster and getting them here with a second-round rookie quarter, uh, quarterback, excuse me, now on his rookie deal.
1: Yeah, no, he's done a phenomenal job putting this roster together. He's built it through trades. He's built it through the draft. He's used almost every avenue that is available to a GM to build a Super Bowl roster like they currently have. But when you're able to stockpile the picks like he was able to. That also gives them the opportunity to go out and trade for an A.J. Brown, yet still have enough draft capital uh, in his pocket to continue to build and retool this roster. So let's talk about A.J. Brown. I'm glad you went there.
0: He was incredibly important until how that offense worked uh, in the passing game to have Devontae Smith, to have Dallas Goddard. We know about the running game with Jalen Hurts leading the way, but they made a decision last spring during the draft to give up a first round and a third round pick, the 18th overall pick, and a third rounder that later became uh, Jeffrey, uh, Jeremy Rucker, excuse me, the tight end, to go out and get A.J. Brown, who had a huge impact. As a general manager on draft night, when things are flying all over the place and it's sometimes hard to focus, uh, At the moment, did you feel like that was a good move for that organization? Is that something you would have considered in the moment knowing that you needed what felt like one more piece?
1: Yeah. When you're able to get a talent like that, and the thing that was so rare about that move was it actually happened on draft night. And rarely have you seen any moves like that where a team is going to give a first round pickup uh, actually on the night of the draft. Because when you do that, you are taking a lot of risk. One. Okay, you have to get a contract done. So two, does he gonna be able to pass a physical because AJ Brown had some durability issues while he was in Tennessee. So it was amazing how how he was able to get all that accomplished and then pull that off on draft night, which is a rarity. But we also seen Arizona where we're at here do a similar yep. situation with Hollywood Brown. So the way the NFL is trending right now and the way these younger general managers are even more aggressive, they're willing to give up draft capital to go get someone they really have targeted. And teams are more willing to give up talented players like an A.J.
0: Brown. And we'll talk about that as it relates to you uh, back during your time with Minnesota in terms of having to give up draft capital for talented players because of an injury situation. Uh, but for now, A.J. Brown obviously worked out, Hollywood Brown less so, but there were a lot of other issues going on in Arizona. Uh, but let's talk about that draft class, that rookie class for the Eagles, because we're going to talk about in a little bit the Chiefs draft class, which had a completely different impact on this season. Uh, but the Philadelphia draft class less so. In fact, Grant Calcaterra, the tight end, he was the third tight end, Jordan Davis and Reed Blankenship were the rookies who got the most snaps. And Reed Blankenship, by the way, undrafted out of Middle Tennessee State, got a chance to play because of injuries. I was talking to a couple of uh, Eagles assistant coaches last night at at media night, and they were saying that he made his bones on special teams, which sometimes these young players have to do, got the opportunity, and then took took full advantage of it. What would you see from this rookie class, as we just said, didn't have a lot to do in terms of contribution-wise,
1: but certainly played a part? And here's, uh, and I'm going to put myself in Howie Roseman's shoes, and talk about from a general manager standpoint how you have a very talented veteran roster a lot of very good players on that roster but this draft class was more to to develop and then when these players eventually have to retire or they have to move on because they can't afford them they'll have a draft class in place that will hopefully replace some of the critical guys that they're going to probably eventually lose
0: All right, that leads me to that question, and uh, we'll see how forthcoming you are as a former general manager. Howie Roseman, well, let's just count the 2017 Super Bowl. Let's start the clock at at 2019 for the second conversation. Howie Roseman is on the precipice of winning the Super Bowl, and he appears set roster-wise for the three or four years down the road because, again, Jalen Hurts is on that rookie deal. They'll have to pay him shortly, I'm sure. Or would you rather be less need? He has the Super Bowl in hand. Their roster is in tatters because they traded away everything and then some. And they are looking at a potential huge rebuild. Would you rather have the Super Bowl in your back pocket? That's a big back pocket. Or would you rather have the opportunity to win
1: multiple Super Bowls, but you know how difficult it is? I'd rather have a Super Bowl in my back pocket and the opportunity to win multiple Super Bowls. You want to <laughs> have your cake and you eat it, too. That's what the whole objective of this, uh, this GM job is. Um, but... What Howie has done is he's been able to actually do both, and if they're able to go off, and I know we're going to talk about our predictions at the end of the show, and we'll leave it there, but if they are able to win a Super Bowl, he has set up for this team to be competitive year in and year out for the next three or four years uh, to go repeat as Super Bowl champions.
0: All right. I want to give you two names uh, of guys that you remember coming through uh, during the draft process when you were general manager. And I know one you really love, but I want to hear the story again. Tell us about Quarterback Jalen Hurts, and then tell us about Hassan Reddick, who was undersized coming out of Temple, was misused or miscast in his role in, in Arizona, and then found, refound his himself, rediscovered his, his abilities here in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, one of the things you look for is when you're evaluating these players, um, their track record, and the one thing that really stuck out about Jalen Hurts was his the way he handled adversity. So he was at Alabama, he ended up getting benched. Uh, He transferred to Oklahoma, uh, did a phenomenal job at Oklahoma. A lot of the questions were everybody knew how talented of a runner he was, how talented of an athlete he was, but can he throw the ball more accurately? And he has proven that this year uh, before the uh, injury uh, because he hasn't been as effective maybe the last couple games since coming back from that shoulder injury, but he was leading the NFL in plus 25 yards throwing down the field in his quarterback rating he was the best in the nfl at it so that's going to be something he's going to have to do this week but we'll get into that also a little later but what impressed me the most is i remember sitting with him and interviewing him at the senior bowl and besides teddy bridgewater he was the most impressive interview i've ever sat through the way he talked about how he handled the adversity at alabama how he went and established himself at Oklahoma, how he came to Philadelphia and got a lot of heat early because he's still yeah. developing. And all of a sudden, everything came to fruition this year where he is one of the top quarterbacks, top young quarterbacks uh, in the league. So that just tells you his what is he made of inside and his inner fiber. And this kid has no quit in him no matter what you throw at him. He's going to go out there and compete and is like, say, throw the ball out on the playground. Let's see you wants to play old school. and don't play. And this kid is definitely one of those kids. If you throw a ball out on the playground, he's going to be the first one to grab it. And what about Hassan? Hassan Reddick? Yeah, he was an interesting. He came out of Temple. He was an undersized pass rusher. Uh, the one thing that really stuck out when you studied him on tape is his first step quickness and his athleticism to come off the edge. And he was a dominant pass rusher at Temple. Uh, Then he bounced around a little bit. I think he went to Arizona. Then he was at Carolina. That's right. Philly got a great deal for him. Three years, 45. Yeah, which is a great deal for him. And I think he's one of the top uh, leading sackers in the NFL. But he was another kid. And when you're trying to identify these kids, you can see all the physical ability. You can evaluate the tape. But where you miss on guys and where I've missed on guys is do they truly have a passion for the game? There was no question after I talked to Jalen Hurts, that box was checked. Right. And Hassan Reddick has checked that box as well because that guy loves to play football. And Philadelphia has done a great job understanding what his strengths are. His strength isn't dropping back in coverage, no. his strength is going forward and getting pressure and sacking the quarterback. And that's exactly how Philadelphia is using him.
0: Absolutely, 16 sacks in the season, 19 and a half sacks uh, in the postseason as well. And we're going to take a break. And When we come back, Rick, we're going to talk about a couple guys named Kelsey and Mahomes and the impact they've had on that Chiefs roster. All right, we're back. Welcome back to With the First Pick on CBS Sports HQ. We are here in Hance Park in Phoenix, Arizona. You see the stadium there, State Farm Stadium, home of the Super Bowl in just five days. There's Papago Park, hole in the wall. There's the practice field, and uh, here's me, and here's Rick Spielman (laughs) with the first pick back here in Hance Park. So, Rick, let's talk about how the Chiefs were built. We just talked about the Eagles in the last segment, and I think the conversation perhaps could start with with Andy Reid, but we're going to start with Patrick Mahomes, drafted in 2017, the second quarterback off the board after Mitch Trubisky, and... At the time, the Vikings, when you were the general manager, did not have a first-round pick. That first-round pick, you had traded to Philly, incidentally, for uh, uh, Sam Bradford the year before because Teddy Bridgewater got hurt, unfortunately, in the preseason, and there's a little twist to that that we'll talk about later with that trade, but you took Dalvin Cook first uh, with the second-round pick, but you still evaluated the quarterbacks, and you had Patrick Mahomes in, and you spoke with him. What was your takeaway from Patrick Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech as a gunslinger?
1: Yeah, no, he was definitely a gunslinger when you uh, put the tape on, and he was one of the most off-scheduled creative <laughs> quarterbacks that came out in that year's draft and maybe one of uh, the all-timers as far as running that air raid offense down there in, at Texas Tech. So we actually did interview him and sat down and interviewed him at the uh, at the combine that year and very impressive. A lot of questions were because of that air raid offense, how quickly was he going to be able to adapt to an NFL offense. I thought and think Andy Reid and that staff has done a phenomenal job and again this is what great makes great coaches great is understanding what each kid's strengths and weaknesses are mm-hmm. so they built an offense and Eric Bieniemy did a phenomenal job building an offense around what Patrick Mahomes does best and so that's why I think you're seeing the results that you're seeing but you know a lot of people weren't sure about him when he came out some people uh, I'm sure I didn't see your mock draft back then, but had some people had him in the second round. Kansas City really fell in love with him, uh, went up and got him where they picked him in the middle of the first round. The thing that benefited him the most, probably, was his chance to just sit and learn from Alex Smith for a year. Which is hard to do. Which is hard to do, but... They showed the patience, Alex Smith did a great job while he was there. He wasn't going to be the answer to getting to them to the Super Bowl. And then after Mahomes had his year, redshirt year or learning from a guy like Alex Smith, who's probably a great veteran quarterback to learn from, and then the rest is history.
0: And not only that, because the Chiefs are the Chiefs, it feels like, they were able to parlay Alex Smith into a trade for, I believe, two first-round picks. And they made out on the back end as well, went to the playoffs during Patrick Mahomes' first season with Alex Smith as the starter for most of that season. So 2017, Mahomes was a rookie. He sat. This Chiefs rookie class... Brett Veach hit an absolute grand slam. It, pick after pick, it almost like as you got farther into the draft, they got more production out of those guys. You go to the very bottom, you have Isaiah Pacheco, the running back out of Rutgers. You have Jalen Watson, uh, the seventh rounder out of uh, Washington State. And both those guys contributed and contributed often. You've watched every single snap of every one of these players. That's all you were doing <laughs> yesterday. I told you to take a break. You refused. Give me some of your favorites from this draft class in terms of the contributions they provided.
1: Well, first, you've got to recognize the Kansas City Chiefs and opposite of what the Philadelphia Eagles That's did right. and went and traded for A.J. Brown. They traded maybe one of the most explosive playmakers in the game right now and Tyreek Hill to Miami. So what they do, they capitalize on that. those picks that they received. They did do some trading up and down with the New England Patriots, but they ended up with you know McDuffie, the corner from Washington who played Nick. He got hurt during the year, but he's played his best football since they started the playoffs. And when you watch him on tape the thing that really stuck out the most was his instinctual awareness and zone coverage and that's when they started to develop and we'll talk about a couple of these other Watson for example and a couple of the other young guys in the secondary when you look at what the Chiefs did the second half of the season okay they played a lot more zone coverage and they weren't bringing eight men down in the box so that put a lot less stress on those guys as they continue to grow and learn and Karlofkas who came out of uh, Purdue seven of his eight sacks he had eight sacks this year came since week 12 so what you're seeing is the evolution of these rookies when they come in um, learning the game uh, they got thrown into the fire right away. Uh, they took their lump, some of their lumps early except they're still able to win games. Right Now as these rookies are starting to peak and now you're starting to see them evolve as legitimate starters in this league, that's why Kansas City is where they're at.
0: And in terms of looking to the future, just briefly even if, they are in fantastic shape perhaps salary cap wise. Now you're playing Patrick Mahomes with King's Ransom, understandably so, Kelsey makes a lot of money, but if you have six guys on the roster who are making day two, day three, contract money, that allows you to do other things to help the other players that are coming up for contracts. And and in part, explains why perhaps they decided to move from Tyreek Hill, which feels like that would be incredibly tough to do as well.
1: Yeah, I don't know if they were going to be able to afford Tyreek Hill. So, when you're in those meetings and you're in your salary cap meetings and you know, you got Mahomes, you got Kelsey under contract. Uh, They went out and signed Smith-Schuster, Valdez, uh, 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 Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Scantling, yeah. And those guys contributed are they Tyreek Hill? No, but did they help him win games? Yes, and we saw saw that last week. Uh, Sky Moore who's developing uh, as a slot, he's going to be a very good player for him. He had a couple muff punts this year, yep. but has really rebounded and played well the second half of the year since those occurred. And then they hit on two seventh rounders that we talked about. You know, you got uh, Jalen Watson, a seventh rounder. He's a 6'2 corner, and when you watch tape on him he came out of Washington State. He ran 4 one His athletic numbers were not exceptional, right? Uh, but the one thing you notice, and he had three interceptions this year, this year two coming the playoffs, one, one-hander against Jacksonville. Everybody saw the one early in the season, the 98-yard pick, yeah. pick six. I think it was against the LA Chargers, right. and then he had one uh, last week against the Cincinnati Bengals, but his ball skills are very unique. He did give up a touchdown to Higgins though, uh, that also in that, that game, but that happens <laughs> as well. But they his biggest strength is when they play him in press coverage and they let him run with receivers because he can stay with receivers downfield and when you have that size, when you have that frame, when you have that athletic skill set to go get the ball in the air that was a great find for them and, and that's what you're looking for. When you can get guys that are late round picks seventh rounders, even college free agents, those contracts are even a lot cheaper than they are maybe on the Friday guys and for sure on the Absolutely. Thursday guys. So that's going to give you the flexibility from a cap standpoint to keep some of your own uh, to, or to go out and potentially be uh, active in free agency if you need to do that.
0: So a couple of fun facts here. Um, let's see. In the NFL, uh, the Chiefs, this rookie class, led the NFL in snaps played by first- or second-year players, almost 10,000 snaps, which, which is mind-boggling. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, the other thing I want to talk about um, is Travis Kelsey. So I think he's going to be a pretty good football player when it's all said and done, <laughs> just a guess here. But you mentioned this to me earlier, that when he was coming out, the reason he wasn't a top 75 pick is because back in the day, and back in the day for Travis Kelsey in his early 30s was, you know, 10 years ago,
1: he wasn't blocking anyone. You wanted inline right. tight ends to block. The game has totally evolved since then. And, you know, when he came out of the University of Cincinnati, everybody saw the athletic ability. He can run, he can catch, he can create some mismatches if he's matched up against a safety or a linebacker. But he wasn't a very good blocker uh, when he came out. And back then, there were a lot of teams uh, running that West Coast offense where the tight ends are heavily involved, not only in a passing game, but they have to be able to block. So probably because of that, that knocked him down in the draft. But as this game evolved, and then when they got Patrick Mahomes and their offense Mm. evolved, again, this is what great coaches do. Okay. I'm not going to put Kelsey as a wide tight end and have him try to block a defensive end for 35 plays a game. That's not going to work. But let's go put him in a slot. Let's put him out wide. He's got a phenomenal instinct to find open areas between zones, great hands, great after the catch. All the things that he did well in college, he's even doing better now in the NFL and why he's probably the best tight end in the NFL, in the game right now.
0: And again, fit matters, Andy Reid plus Patrick Mahomes plus Travis Kelsey equals. And,
1: right, and when you mention those stats about all those first and second year players, it's great. But when you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, that, as we said, can put lipstick on a pig, <laughs> hide a lot of warts, whatever old term you want to use. Uh, that covers up a lot of things that, uh, that, that, as these guys grow, they're still able to overcome because of Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback.
0: Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, what are we going to talk about, Rick? I think we're going to have a little comp session, maybe? A little Patrick Mahomes? No, that's Bryce Young. Who's Bryce Young? Like he's like <laughs> Drew Brees.
1: That's oh my comp. That is not that, Rick's comp. No, and please do not <laughs> assign me to that comp because we'll they're be totally back the opposite. Right after this,
0: you are looking at State Farm Stadium, home of Super Bowl Fifty Seven, in Glendale, Arizona. Eagles, Chiefs. Five days from now, you are watching with the First Pick Podcast on CBS Sports HQ. Brian Wilson. And our general manager, Rick Spielman, we're gonna do a little comps. We saw it in the bump coming in. And I'll start, Rick. Uh, Bryce Young, I, I think we both agree, is our QB1 as we sit here. Yep. Great football player, the size, the weight's gonna be an issue. And it's hard to find a comp for someone that size and that weight because those players don't exist. I talked to a GM back in the fall and they said, How many quarterbacks in the NFL look like Bryce Young? And the answer is, well, none of them. And that's the concern. When your job is on the line, clearly you want to hit a home run with the most important position. My comp is Drew Brees. Now, Drew Brees was a second-round pick in part because of the size he was bigger, and uh, probably not more as athletic now, in uh, the latter part of his career. But certainly he was athletic coming out of Purdue. You, if I know you, probably hate the comp. So what do you think, Bryce Young, Drew Brees, and then give me your rebuttal, <laughs> uh, your better comp as the the guy here on the on the set with so much more experience.
1: I, I just I'm trying to comprehend the Drew Brees and, and there the Bryce is. Young comparison. They're or, uh, they're two different people, uh, yes. uh, two different styles of quarterback. So but that's fine if, if you can sleep at night and are happy with i your did not top. sleep well last night no apparently because you just threw that together because we had to go on a show here five minutes before the show all
0: right okay well let me just prep i can't wait to hear yours
1: is it a football player by
0: any chance what do you got
1: rick bring it all right i always i've always and i've said this on numerous shows he's going to be the steph curry what um, does steph curry play he plays basketball, <laughs> and he's a point guard that's one of the most dominant point guards You're in right, L.A. you I actually like it. Go because ahead. Because of his vision, uh, his natural instincts. Everything that everybody said he can't do because he has all this God-given gifts that he has, he does it. And then my other comparison, if I have to pick a football guy and Pete Prisco and everybody just laughs at me, I think he has a lot of Patrick Mahomes style to him. And by that, I mean he is one of the best off-schedule throwers that I've seen coming out of the collegiate game. Uh, He does a great job for a small quarterback with his vision down the field. His anticipation and the way he throws the ball and he throws receivers open, all the things. Now, if this guy was six one, two hundred and ten pounds, no conversations. About no, it's it's that he's a generational type quarterback, right. in my opinion. But since he's so small, everybody's going to like be nervous as heck to take him because one is he going to be durable enough to go through a preseason, go through 17 games, go through, you know, if they get all the way to the Super Bowl, uh, that many games and stay healthy. So that's a big, big concern, I think, with a lot of teams. But from a comparison, I saw one game, it was in Tennessee, he threw a touchdown pass to Latou in the end zone. And as he stepped up in the pocket, he kind of did a sidearm fling and then walked away like a walk-off home run. It was the same type of movement that you see when you do, when Patrick Mahomes does some things, or when right. Steph Curry throws up a three point and starts walking down the court before it even goes you in, are, the, uh, in the and the net.
0: You're old school and you like your quarterbacks to be a certain size, so the fact that you're willing to concede that Bryce Young is special is is noteworthy. So let's go to C.J. Stroud, the quarterback out of Ohio State, had a great season. We found out in his final game in college that he could actually run. Who is yeah. your comp for C.J. Stroud? It was
1: amazing he found <laughs> legs. So I wish he would have found them through the whole time. I compared him to Jeff Goff. That would be mine. Jared Goff, yeah. Jared Goff, I'm sorry. And the reason why I say that is because Jared was a very accurate passer. Uh, He did not make a lot of plays with his legs, uh, but he had enough arm talent to make all the throws. He can get out on the move. He wasn't going to be a threat with his legs, uh, but he was an accurate thrower on the move or when he had to do. And you're seeing some of that with Jared Goff now, especially in Detroit with the offense they're running. So CJ reminded me a lot of, jared golf when he came out except when i saw cj running around on a pretty good uh defense uh with georgia uh that kind of started to change my opinion a little bit when maybe this guy is even better than the jared golf because all of a sudden he's found that hidden athletic talent that we were all waiting to see all year. And I think that's an
0: important point that you make, because even if you, who obviously in the league uh, for decades, did you learn something about C.J. Stroud in that last game. Typically, uh, you know, the the, hay is in the barn, as they say, on the players, unless something extraordinary happens in a bowl game, and that was certainly the case with C.J.
1: Okay, so now I'm going to bring in my... Argument about these opt-outs. Okay, here we go. All right, (laughs) go ahead. You got 15 seconds. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I understand there was a lot on the line in C.J. Stroud, and it would have been interesting to see if Ohio State wasn't in the Final Four, Mm. if he would have played. But he played. I give him credit. He didn't opt out, and he showed something in that game that he hadn't shown all year. And all of a sudden, that made people start going back to the tape. Yeah. Uh, And all of a sudden, now it's like, did we misevaluate this player? On his athletic skill set, all because he ended up playing in that bowl game. Okay, Bryce Young had one of his best games of the year because he played in that Sugar Bowl against. Changed a lot of people's opinions. Will Anderson, all those guys played, and they really helped themselves when they played in that bowl game. So I'm always going to be. I understand the opt out and getting ready for the draft, and I want to stay healthy and all that stuff. Roll the ball out on the court. Let's see who wants to go out and play.
0: So, quickly, my comp for C.J. Stroud was Geno Smith. 2022, which is a lot like language. Did you watch him coming out of West Virginia? I said 2022 because he was a different player then. Okay. If CJ was a hard comp. I, I think even, maybe you'll agree with that. Probably not. Uh, let's go to Anthony Richardson, who there's so much to love and so much to be afraid of with Anthony Richardson in terms of what he could potentially be, good or bad. And I'll just say my comp, and then you can take uh, the next 35 <laughs> to 60 seconds or years to, to rebut it and then give me your guy. I thought, I saw glimpses of Dante Culpepper. Uh, now, Dante put up more young Yards and with his arm, obviously, because Anthony is not uh, quite, doesn't have the experience yet. Uh, but I think, in terms of his, his mobility, his size, his arm strength, I saw some similarities there.
1: So, have your piece and then tell me who you got. Okay. The reason I'm going to so strongly <laughs> disagree with you is because uh, Dante Culpepper was a very accurate thrower and uh, even coming out of Central Florida when you see him there was no question about the arm strength, no question about the size, uh, not near the athlete that uh, Richardson is, and a much more accurate thrower than Richardson yeah, is. No, that's right. So, this is
0: best case scenario. Yeah,
1: my comp was Cam Newton, but I... Yeah. Uh, but just because of the size, the athleticism, a lot of things when you break him down on tape this year and some of the unique athletic things that he does with his legs, break tackles or spin out of this or do this or that, you have seen a lot of that with Cam Newton uh, when he was at Auburn. The difference is Cam Newton had a lot of success with wins down right. in Florida. Uh, Richardson didn't, and the reason was because he still has to take care of the ball. There's no question about the physical. He's probably the most physically gifted quarterback in this class, the most physically gifted arm in this class, but the inconsistencies are just going to drive people crazy as they go back and forth in these draft meetings.
0: All right, one word answer. Is Anthony Richardson going to the top 20? Yes. (laughs) So
1: they'll get over those concerns right quick, as they say. So tell me about Will Levis. Everybody hates everybody until the day of the draft. And then all of a sudden, everybody, oh, God, we love this Until guy. the bill is due. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> another controversial quarterback uh, for different reasons is Will Levis. So tell me what your comments for Will Levis and, and what you like about
1: him. Yeah, I, I compared him to Josh Allen. Now, okay.
0: that's the, fa- the face you should be making for the Dante Culpepper face. That's the face I should be making for the jo- okay, get, well, I, I I Josh Okay, well, I want to hear your Allen.
1: rebuttal because okay, let's go. he's a big, strong arm kid Check. that has athletic ability. Question his touch and accuracy, which happens with Josh Allen. I'm saying it was Josh Allen coming out, not the Josh Allen that we see now. Fair enough. So, and, and Brian Dayball and those guys did a phenomenal job developing him. But that took almost three years before you've seen the Josh Allen we see today. Will Levis has all the physical traits you want in a quarterback in tough. I mean, I've seen games where I can't remember the game. His finger was pointing yeah. out to the side, and they reset, and he, he continued came to play. Yeah. So for whatever reason... Okay, he opted out of the bowl game. He opted out of the senior bowl. And whether it was injury or not, I don't know. So I'll be careful of okay. my criticism. But if I was a general manager and I got in front of this kid, I'd want to know the reasons why. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Was Tendon Hooker the senior bowl? Yes. Was he injured? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So you agree with me? Finally, you <laughs> <I> finally. <laughs> there were. Uh, and who else did we see there that was injured? That was down at the Senior Bowl. We saw our guy, our favorite guy, Tyree Wilson. <laughs> my <laughs> favorite guy that you eventually turned
0: the light. Edge rusher, Texas Tech. He's going to be a top ten <laughs> pick, no doubt about it. So quickly, my Will Levis evaluation. I, I get the Josh Allen comparison. Will Levis has actually compared himself how he wants his game to be, Josh Allen. I understand that for the from the physical standpoint that you pointed out. I went with Matthew Stafford in. Again, this is a hard comp because he is not Josh Allen, and he's not even Matthew Stafford coming out.
1: Uh, there's some Matthew Stafford was a pretty good quarterback coming out That's- of Georgia. A lot more yeah. accurate, a lot yeah. less turnovers. Yes. Uh, uh, I mean, I went to Matthew Stafford's workout, and that was the, the ball was moving right. Strongest arm I've ever seen live. Uh, besides uh, Jamarcus Russell, when I went to his uh, workout, maybe th- that's not the Will Levis comp. I don't want to put that on him, but I mean, there's- you, you got to come up. Like you'll go back, right? And so when we do these other podcasts, yeah. you'll come up with better comps than what you were able to so far without using mine. Yes, we'll see.
0: All right, added bonus. We're going to do quickly one wide receiver just for fun. Quentin Johnston and uh, my Quentin Johnston comp. And I'll be honest, this was a tough one for me as well. I think we're learning here that I'm not great at comps. Yours is actually really good, so I'll give mine. You can just get to yours. You'll have, you have to dunk on me again uh, to, to bring in the Steph Curry metaphor. I went with Andre Johnson. That's best-case scenario. Andre Johnson was a special player. Quentin Johnson's big, 6'4". He didn't weigh quite, quite as much as Andre coming out. Uh, who do you have... Which actually I think is better. T Higgins. But so, I think that's a good one. Second yeah. round pick, but he should have gone in the first round in yeah. retrospect.
1: Yeah, no, and, and uh he ran four four nine, four five one coming out. Uh I think Johnson's gonna be faster than him, but a lot of similar traits that I saw in T Higgins when he came out of Clemson.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And he'll probably be one of the first wide receivers taken. We'll we'll see. And we're gonna take a quick break and we come back going to be a little bit more of the old uh, With the First Pick podcast here live in Phoenix, Arizona. And you can subscribe to With the First Pick and listen to more of me and Rick talk NFL draft all year long. We'll be right back. We're back with the first pick podcast here, CBS Sports HQ at Hans Park in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm still here with Rick Spielman. I uh, couldn't get rid of him, but we're also here with Thomas Dimitrov and Eric Eager from Sumer Sports. You know Thomas Dimitroff as the former Falcons general manager. And Eric, I'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about what Sumer Sports is, your background, uh, you're a mathematician, so you are probably the second smartest person on this <laughs>
1: set after Rick. But tell us about Sumer Sports. Oh wow, I, and I'll tell you, you myself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Thomas, but, so yeah, I mean it's we're, um, we're trying to take the best minds in football and, and help teams build rosters more efficiently. I think there's been so much good work that's been done in, in football analytics over the last 10, 15 years. But no one's really had this unified theory of being able to put it all together. And uh, we're just blessed to have people like Thomas, who's done it before for 12 years in the NFL, and people like me, who you know ran pro football focus for a while. And, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a really exciting endeavor. Can I ask just what separates your Uh,
1: analytics from others and why it's becoming so important in the league right now with making
2: roster and personnel decisions. I mean, it was really hard. Like, all the other places, I think, are more outsider, right? Like, you know, when I was at PFF, like, none of us had been in the league before, right? And so we were kind of guessing, poking at the edges of the league, got team clients and stuff like that. Having somebody like Thomas, who's done this before, who's traded, you know, up for Julio Jones, traded Mohamed Sanu, done stuff like that, made a Super Bowl, you know, won rings as a part of the Patriots. Like, having that experience, along with folks that have built the algorithms before, I think gives us an edge.
0: No, I think that's incredibly important, and obviously, and you know this better than 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 I do. Baseball had their moment decades ago, but there are different moving parts, and it's much more difficult to, to sort of define what those variables are in the NFL. And, and I think the fact that you are getting closer there and, Thomas, you were able to contribute is certainly something special. Eric, you mentioned Julia Jones, and, and I, I watched uh, some of your, your, your talks on YouTube, and I know you're tired of talking about Julia Jones, but people find it so fascinating. <laughs> but because it was, I don't want to say out of left field, but it was a huge... Jump to make, and you've talked in the past about how you spoke to Bill Belichick, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't know if this is a great idea." And you did it because you needed the final piece of the puzzle. And we just talked in the previous segment about how AJ Brown, in some sense, helped the Eagles get over the hump. Can you go through? Uh, let me ask you this: How nervous were you in the moments before the trade up? And then when? How many years until you felt comfortable with the, the, the pick? Okay. Work it out.
3: Well, by the way, we should probably ask Eric what his take on my trade is <laughs> yeah. because before we we always Eric and I were working together at the last, you know, in the last couple years that I was in Atlanta and I developed a really good friendship with him professionally just because the combination of he also played football so he's a mathematician, doctorate in math and data scientist but also has a really good understanding of football one of the main reasons it was a big get for us when we brought Eric in about six months ago really really important for our company so that's that's a, that's a little aside as far as the trade itself now it was it was a big deal for sure we I mean I remember bill saying to me when I did talk to him Thomas you're gonna be judged off of this for the rest of your career long we, we've all read about it in the sense of you know I basically said look I'll do respect we're gonna do it I do remember <laughs> Remember it being a, a big thing, and you'll laugh at this because it's hindsight. I remember we were standing arm in arm, myself and Arthur Blank, and we were we announced that we made the the, the pick, right? And everyone in the world was going crazy. Half the world thought my head was somewhere else, and someone <laughs> else thought maybe I knew what I was doing, but I. No one knew. Arthur and I were holding arms, hand in hand, and we were watching ESPN, and John Gruden was killing the pick, and every time he. he Literally 13 balls dropped in a row, one after another, after another, <laughs> after another. And that normally doesn't happen. Arthur's arm drops and he looks at me and I'm thinking, "Oh my God. And that was the start to the, to the critique on it. So I dealt with it that way. But deep down, I would never do anything different. I know people could say, well, the 12 draft, as you know, it was tough, right? Coming, coming off the 11 draft, we gave away what we did. That was our Peter Kahn's draft. We had no one left from that draft. So there are repercussions, but in the end, I feel very comfortable with what we did. And it's, it's not easy to do. Would I have done it differently if Sumer Sports was my augmentation right. tool? Yes, I'm going to tell you right now. Would I have signed Julio Jones to the numbers in that third contract? This is where I think Ho- Sumer Sports can be very, very helpful, providing guys like us who have been in that seat, and it's not easy. There are so many layers.
1: Yeah, just a real quick fact. I don't think people realize this, but I started out with the Detroit Lions as a Blesto combine scout, and when I got moved up to an area college scout, guess who took my <laughs> spot? And I got an opportunity <laughs> to train, Thomas Dimitrov. Yes. So we both came a uh, long, long way. Yes. Uh, since those days, and can you just hit real quickly on the difference in how we approach things, if you wanna call us now the old school GMs, to how everybody and all these young guns coming in and really taking a different approach on the win now mentality? Yeah, I
3: like the win now mentality. You and I know this, Rick. I mean, that's, it's not easy. We understand this and not for long league, and we, we hear that all the time. And, and it's amazing because I talking to our contemporaries who even though they're younger, they're still our contemporaries, they all know that it's short lived and they also know that there's a lot more involved Rick than you and I coming in, in the contract numbers that we had when we first got in to what is coming out the gate for some of these general managers. And and I won't pinpoint it, but when someone's making $6 million a year as a general manager in the first year, that's a big deal. So there's a lot more riding on the urgency of getting things done, not sitting on your hands, being aggressive on making moves, we, you know, again, Jeff Shadia, you were referencing that article recently, a lot of people are talking about that. People are not just sitting around doing what maybe we did in Detroit as we looked at the board and we worked through it and we sat.
1: Magnetic board. It wasn't Ma- electronic yeah. back we, then. We didn't right. even have computers when no, we started. We
3: weren't, we weren't and I think now I don't believe you can sit on your hands anymore in today's world. You just can't. You have to be aggressive. And it's a big thing. It's not always comfortable because right. people are always going to scrutinize you, right? And and guys like Eric who have the have the data side who are going to look at every one of these moves. and and I'd love to pass it over to him from a Sumer Sports perspective, you know, what our algorithms are doing are allowing us to look at those trades and really hone in on them to let them sort of reveal to us and the owner and the head coach, of course, you know that's important, to, to see exactly what we're gonna do with this trade.
1: Is it getting easier to sell analytics now to these younger general managers and I know probably when we were coming up and analytics started to come in place, you know, it was trying to sell the coaches on, the analytics trying to sell some of the older scouts well hey you know I saw this and that's what he is and not utilizing all the tools that you have out there available to you now to make even better decisions
2: yeah it's easier I think that there is some pushback though because obviously the game changes and and analytics needs big sample sizes so sometimes you do have to use the subject matter experts to sort of you know smoothen out you know some of the conclusions but you know I think what what we can do is help general managers get reps in places like you know if you we gave you a simulator where you could simulate trades over and over and over again. So when it comes down to Thomas, Thomas has one, you know, signature trade in his career. What what if he ran through that uh, two dozen times in, on a simulation before he had to execute it the first time? Like that's what we want to be here for. Like you guys have so much expertise. What we want to do is help you apply that expertise more efficiently and more often. And you know, before I mean, you guys back in the in the draft room would have to simulate the draft over and over and over again, and take a month to get through yeah. what 30 of them. And now we we at Sumer Sports hopefully can give you 30 of them in an hour. And and then that can help you sort of sharpen your already great expertise and move on to uh, other problems.
1: Uh, Can I I just ask one question real quick? And I'm sorry, on the analyst. What areas, (laughs) because you have, okay, the height, weight, speed, and that was the old school way, and you got a hand, (laughs) size, arm. But are you implementing, like, the psychological testing into your algorithms? Are you integrating all the other statistics come run after catch uh, things like that
2: uh, well, to help thing, improve the decision making yeah, process both directly and indirectly right so directly we can look at a psychological test but indirectly we can look at the tracking data and say does this linebacker bite on play action does he flow to the run what is the is he a guy like Dante Hightower who I know you know with the Patriots does he a guy that both doesn't bite on play action and flows really well to the run is he the unicorn there mm-hmm. and then you can sort of look at cuz i know you know scouts love traits and those are important to you know projecting college to pro so can we quantify those traits with tracking data so that you guys can go back to the lab and find new ones? That's kind of where I think analytics can come in and codify a lot of the greatness that comes from evaluators' brains, and then you guys can move on to other things and, you know, sort of we can backfill as you go. And again, trying to allow you to apply your expertise more efficiently and more often. Can,
3: can I just add quickly for perspective, yeah, exactly. and you know this. I used to sit back there, and you know, the first four years with your owner, and mine was Arthur Blank, of course, and I would tell Arthur, I have 12 scenarios Arthur and I felt like proud as a peacock yeah. uh, this is what we're gonna do this this uh, this algorithm that we're working on provides millions of scenarios unfathomable to the human mind really obviously you don't have to weigh through all those million but it will provide you with one two or three of the top Sumer sports recommended and what's really important you know this it's about juxtaposition right you and I it was always about that you're not going to take just what Sumer says face value in year one you're gonna take what in your case was the Minnesota Vikings and you're gonna take what Everything that your whole group put together, right? And then you're gonna take Sumer Sports and you're gonna look at what we provided through all the IP that you might have provided us in our own IP and you're gonna juxtapose it and you're gonna get more and more comfortable as you as you evolve. And that's something that I know from my perspective, I've talked to Eric a lot about it. You can't force feed. This can be revolutionary. I really believe it. I'm not when I were when we we're out pitching people, people were like, Thomas, you become a salesman. I'm like, I do, because I truly believe in something like this to have helped us along the way because it's not a black box, brother. It is about <laughs> augmentation.
0: We uh, have one one minute left, Rick. So I'm gonna you know I'm gonna take the, right. the microphone from you because you would you will keep <laughs> these guys here all day. They Maybe
1: he can use him so he can get better comps when we talk about yeah, draft comps. <laughs> so one last
0: question for you, Thomas, and, and then we'll get out of here. So I understand everything you're talking about, Eric, and, and the importance of it. And Thomas, clearly you buy in. But what if you love a guy? What if your gut says I need this guy here instead of waiting around? How do you talk the computer into doing? what you think's right even though your gut may not agree with the numbers
3: you don't you override it and you say we've done our work on this and and these are the reasons that we are going to override just because you're overriding doesn't in any way and you can comment on this doesn't mean that our algorithm is wrong far from that you can comment on that yeah
2: everything's an ensemble right so like as a it gets tough right when you're a former evaluator you're like when you want to be an evaluator as a GM when you really have to be a decision maker right and so you allow analytics you allow your scouts you allow Outside input, and you try to average over that to make a correct decision. It's never going to be the analytics that are the only person or only entity that gets a vote. It's a tool that helps you make better you decisions, go. not a decision maker. Right. Oh, thank you. He, he, he's. I looking,
3: knew you he, were going to come back <laughs> with that. That's
0: very good.
3: <laughs> you want to write? You want to be a writer?
1: <laughs> he's looking for a job, Thomas. And Eric. All right, I'm Almost
0: jobless. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Listen, follow Thomas at Simmer Sports on Twitter, or visit SimmerSports.com for the best football and analysis in the market, and listen to the Simmer Sports podcast with Eric Eager and Thomas Dimitroff airs on Mondays and Wednesdays on your favorite content platform. We are going to take a break, uh, probably until tomorrow, as it turns out. We had a great (laughs) podcast. Thanks for joining us here at Hentz Park uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. First Super Rule 57, Brian Wilson. Mr. Spielman, Rick, Thomas Dimitroff, Eric Eager, thank you.